0: Hello, Hoopaholics, and welcome to the Box in One podcast. I'm your host, Coach Spins, and joining us here this evening is Keith Smith from Spotrack, a Celtics blog, co colleague of mine. Uh, Keith is incredibly involved in covering the NBA, always does a fantastic job of bringing both an analytical background on what's going on in the court, as well as the contract, the nitty gritty on the front office side. So we're here. To pick his brain about two of the teams he covers most closely, the Boston Celtics and the Orlando Magic, as well as COVID mania, the litany of moves that are going on in the world right now. It's impossible for me to keep up. I don't know how Keith does it. Probably a lot of coffee and sleepless nights, but regardless, we're thrilled to have him here. Keith, how are you doing?
1: I'm doing well. Thanks for having me, man.
0: Yeah, of course. Of course. So there's tradition around here with the Boxing One podcast that we start by asking all of our guests the same question. And Keith... You are no exception to the rule. So we got to fire this one at you. You're up three with five seconds to go, and it's the other team's ball. Do you foul? What is it that you would instruct your team to do?
1: Uh, are they shooting? I assume they're in the penalty.
0: Yes. Yeah, we'll, we'll go with that assumption. Yep.
1: Where's the ball?
0: I think for, for this one, NBA purposes, if we're talking about it, it gets advanced to half court. So we'll, we'll go with that since you're an NBA guy.
1: Got it. So as long as you – as long as you're not going to foul the guy as he's catching and going into a shooting motion and risking a four-point play, I foul. Um, oh. And that's a change for me. I used to be a play-it-out guy. I didn't like the idea of, of fouling. But now I, I think there's too, too many times these teams uh, – the offensive team seems to almost – blow it by catching it with their back to the basket and to me that you got a foul then just put them at the line play it out and let it go
0: yeah i I think more than anything the coaching background in me says to continue to practice whatever you do and be very very explicit with your players on what those situations are so uh, you tend to be in the majority there have been a few more guests that have said foul as opposed to not foul but at the end of the day, it does matter what the circumstances are, where the ball is, or you in the, 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 the bonus, all, all that stuff that matters. But as we move on here to the important topics and why you're here <laughs> to join us today, Keith, uh, you have been doing this for a long time, covering the NBA at large, making sure that you have great information and sources that are in front offices that inform a lot of what you do. But more than anything, it seems like this year and maybe even last year are some of the most hectic that we've ever had. In covering the nba so i mean first and foremost how do you do it like how do you keep up with everything and stay organized with a, a landscape in the nba that's continually changing week by week
1: uh it's a good question it it depends i i tend to be a pretty good multitasker i I can do a lot of things at once which is massively beneficial in this job now my wife and daughter would tell you i don't do that well um (laughs) but that's uh you know that's a conversation we can have at another date but it is i i feel like for me i'm very organized with, with the things that that i do so if it's if I like to have a routine in my day, so one of the first things I do is I get up in the morning i i generally get my daughter off to school uh then you know I get a coffee and then it's going to be sit down and I start going through news. Uh, one of the things that I do is I manually update depth charts each day for myself, just because it forces me to look at every box score um, and make sure that if, if I didn't watch a game or if I didn't have a game on the DVR queued up to watch later and something looks weird in there, like, wait, how did that guy get 10 assists or, you know, how how did he score 30 points? Um, I'll, I'll, then go find the game and then watch that uh, later and those kind of things. So that that's a big part of it. So um, staying organized, having a routine is very big for me. And then that allows me as the day goes along, as things come out, because in this NBA world, news never stops, especially right now. It's just easier to absorb that as the day goes along. And then obviously when it's the big tent poles, uh, roster wise and like so trade deadline free agency and that i really clear the deck of almost all other things and and do that normally during the day i might have like the tv on i might be to have something running in the background but it's usually something i've seen a million times like the office or something right. like that just it's just background noise and something to look at, look up at and look away at from from the computer for a few seconds but during those temple times it's, it's just me i might have a little music uh playing for the background noise but that's it i'm dialed in and locked in on on my phone on the computer i'm texting people i'm going back and forth and trying to figure out what's going on with things and then i always have my cap sheets open that that's uh you know it's Something that is consistently open on my uh, on my computer, they never have it closed. I, I have a uh, an offline version that I use all the time, uh, and then then go go from there. So that's <laughs> uh, probably a little bit longer of an answer than you're looking for. But oh. those, those are some of the things I find that really help me.
0: It's funny. It it takes me back. I'm having horrible flashbacks of when I was a college coach and I would wake up in the mornings and just check the transfer portal every day. (laughs) What new names are in here? Who's looking to move? Who might be in our targets? That was, that was every morning. So yeah. Yeah, it,
1: It's a little like that. Yeah. It's a little like that. Like I, I get up because I don't just look at the NBA transactions. I'm looking at what's going on around the world um, to try and see and generally just, Oh, did this guy pop up there? Cause it's just something I like to be aware of just, you know, when somebody comes out and says, you know, Hey, can we sign player X? Is he available? I like knowing, you know, is he or not? And then I've gotten really good at knowing Geez, you know, that's a good question. I, I generally know where to look to, to find that if I need it and those kind of things. And there's a lot of great, great sites out there. I always shout out my, my original home, real GM. GM, it's just, you know, Trevor treasure trove of information, everything, everything you would ever want to know is, is there in some form or fashion.
0: Yeah. Yeah. They do a fantastic job. And you mentioned kind of the tent pole times of of the season, whether it's trade deadline, which is coming up. I'm going to be here before we know it free agency that, you know, it's kind of a, a moving target at this point. Who knows if it actually starts July 1st or a week or two beforehand, wink, wink. But <laughs> at, the, at the very least, it seems like this COVID period and the season that we're going through with positive tests and isolations and quarantines, there's so much player movement, whether it's signings, players in and out of the lineup, that every day is kind of ten 10-pole season right now. So for yeah. me, more than anything in trying to step back and look at this season on a broader scale. It's got to be so taxing on the players, first and foremost, the coaches who are having to game plan and scheme and figure out what to do when they don't know who to rely on in, you know, day in or day out, and they're shipping new players in on a, on a frequent basis. And all of this constant player movement and signing is really hard to keep track of. So, I mean, you come at this from a front office perspective, and I quite frequently How do you think front office execs are really viewing their own teams and players? Like, is there anything you can really take away from the product that we're watching in terms of, you know, how much faith they have in the team that they've put together?
1: Yeah, that's a really good question. And and this all came to a major head just as the trade window opened. December 15th is the unofficial start of trade season because that's when the vast majority of the players that can be traded. Um, Or that signed over the offseason rather can be traded so that that opens up that trade window it runs roughly two months until until, till this year it's February 10th for the trade deadline so what I think we're seeing is front offices have kind of taken the last couple weeks and they're almost in a way throwing them out the window a little bit because it's it's just who knows who you're going to have. I, it's not front office wise, but I was texting with a coach that I've become pretty friendly with. And he's like, it's a mess. He's like, we can't do practices in the NBA. I think it gets overstated how often teams practice. I think people have this sense that, they, that it's like their high school, right? Where well, you played and then you went and practice the next day. And then maybe the next day and then played. It's very rarely like that. The, the day in between games, there might be a walkthrough, but it's generally going to be players are getting treatment. There's going to be some film work done. Uh, individual work will get done. And then the guys who don't play very often, which is not everybody right now, because these rosters are such a mess, those guys will go a little harder. They might play some three on three, maybe even five on five with the coaches getting involved. And uh, they'll go kind of hard while the, the rotation players are just kind of getting through it.
0: And and shout out Damon Stoudemeyer for the Boston Celtics. Lighting <laughs> yeah. guys up last week when he was playing some <laughs> Love some, it. Uh, some practice. Love exactly.
1: It. Yeah. So you'll see those guys out there, you know, getting getting some run in. And then what ultimately beyond that happens is it's when you get two days off in a row or more that's when you really get in there and get a good practice in and that's when it'll be you know one of those two-hour practice sessions where it's a lot of stuff and you're doing things and then day of shoot around becomes really important for a lot of teams if you're not on a back-to-back because if you're on a back-to-back you don't do shoot around you just you know get back in, in the gym for the game the next day but if you've got time and you can do a shoot around that's when you'll inst- all things teams generally don't put in very much opponent specific stuff in the regular season because there's just not time it's it's your focus on you and what you do but you you'll install a few things it'll be you know hey this team likes to run sideline pick and roll in this situation you know with 10 seconds under the clock they'll go to this and they they, they they'll put in those those wrinkles or if it's you know hey we we want to you know run this kind of junk zone defense to tonight to throw a team off they'll mm-hmm. add those at shoot around And like you said,
0: a lot of this comes through film study as opposed to on-court walkthroughs and full practices where they're getting live reps at lower levels, like where where I coach at high school or as we've done in college in the past. When you have an opponent opponent coming up, you walk through on the floor exactly how you want to guard it. You may get reps for a day in practice and teach your scout team how to run those actions. Those aren't things that they're necessarily doing at the NBA level. It's almost all film work sometimes.
1: Yeah, there's just no time and in shoot arounds when you walk through it at, at most and then but 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 right now, to, to this is a long way into answering your actual question. This COVID related stuff. There's no practices. Nobody's doing practices because it's hey, we're trying to keep everybody healthy for games. And on the, the next part is. There's very few shoot Teams are canceling their shoot left and right because, again, it's let's just get to the game. That, that's where we're trying to get to. I mean, we saw in the Boston game uh, last night, we're recording this on Tuesday on the Monday night game against the Wolves, Greg Monroe was signed, met Chris Finch about two and a half hours before tip-off, and Chris Finch basically said, yeah, we're going to keep it simple for you, You know, run post-ups, run high post actions on offense, and then on defense we're almost always going to be in a two, three zone when you're in the game and just play in the middle and do your thing. And that, that was the extent of Greg Monroe's time. And then of course, he went out there and tore up the Celtics and played really right. well, um, which is a whole other thing. Right. Um, but that's happening all over the league right now. Yeah. Te- teams are throwing some guys in there. It's, you know, get, getting guys in there. So it's, it's really made a mess of these last couple of weeks. That said, there are teams that are looking at it as, hey, we're evaluating our deeper bench guys. Do do we maybe have a guy we didn't really think we had? And, wow, he's really showing something. Uh, You know, uh, some teams have done really well with that. The team I always credit with this uh, over the last several years has been the Miami Heat. They, because of out of necessity, They've gone deeper into their bench than a lot of teams. And every year they seemingly find a guy who can play with Duncan Robinson a couple of years back. Uh, then it was, you know, uh, Max Struce, Gabe Vincent uh, then right now, Omer you're at seven is playing really well that they're, you know, plucking these guys out and getting them in the lineup and, and it's, and it's been big. So that's something that teams are, putting a little more weight on uh, versus just the, you know, Hey, throw it all away. None of it matters. Cause that, that's not necessarily true. It's, it's dependent on situation.
0: And, and look, there are wins and losses are at stake at, at the end of the day. Like it still does matter because it's going to have an impact on standing to the end of the season. And I always think about what I term the law of unintended consequences, right? There's all these protocols, there's all these changes going on in the league And you have to do whatever you can to keep your players safe and abide by all of these, these rules that the union and and the league are setting, but there's opportunity for these guys, whether they're G league guys, end of bench, NBA guys, players that are on two ways to prove themselves as an Mm -hmm. asset to make sure that they leave a positive taste in their coaching staffs and their fans mouths, whatever they can do to find their way back or to a greater role in the league. And that's been probably the biggest takeaway from all of this is yeah, from a team standpoint, you probably can't get a great feel for, for this or that. But we're going to have much clearer views of which players are next in line for greater opportunities, who might become a priority for free agency or, or trades in, in the upcoming mm-hmm. windows. Like these guys are earning themselves money or in some cases costing themselves money by how they perform in these in these situations.
1: Yeah, I mean, we've seen Alfonso McKinney, NBA veteran, he's been around for a few years, but he played so well for the Bulls that the Bulls signed him to a standard contract and waived a player uh, in Alizé Johnson that they already had under contract because it was basically, McKinney's been pretty good for us, we don't want to let him get back on on the market because these G League call-up guys are all free agents, I, I think. That's been missed a little bit. I know Celtics fans who we we interact with quite a bit. Both of us, they will. Add, they were asking, you know, "Why is Boston not getting Theo Pinson and Luke Cornett and some of these other guys?" And the the reason is they're NBA free agents. They're allowed to join whatever team they want. And and part of it is the Celtics uh, got hit with COVID just a little bit later than a couple of other teams, so they missed out on a few a few guys in the early wave. And then it was also if you're Theo Pinson, you're looking at and saying, Man, I might really have a shot at uh sticking with the Mavs. So I'm gonna go to the Mavs because it, you know, that that might be pretty good for me. If you're Luke Cornett, you're probably looking at and saying, Wow, they don't have any bigs right now. A lot of them are out. Maybe I have a shot at really getting something going here. Maybe maybe I can uh, stick here, make this roster versus I already went to training camp with Boston and they caught me once already. And then they all know. They can return to the G League because that's 99% of what happens after a 10-day is a guy returns back to the G League and back to the team he was with, and they'll be there. Now, some people have said that should be more formalized, like Major League Baseball and and this and that, and it's a little tough. I tend to be a little bit more pro player here where I feel – hey that's you know then we got to really start paying these guys better and you got to do all these different things because if you're going to restrict their ability to move and and earn deals and those kind of things then you got to really pay them more and if we do that then that's fine then everybody knows what the deal is and you get into it that way but as it stands right now that's not how it works so these players are you know perfectly open and as you said some of them are are burning themselves spots and then there's a couple guys that i've talked with teams that they're like yeah we thought you know, he might do something and he get up here and hasn't really been what we needed. And we're starting to see those uh, rounds of uh, the um, 10 days expire. And you're starting to see some guys not get picked up for a second one or they're letting it expire and, and the players moving on. So it really becomes a, a you know, it's, it's case by case with every single one of these players and teams are getting a real good firsthand look at evaluating them.
0: Well, I want to take your, your point on kind of the MLB model and kind of run with it here because I would anticipate, and I had this conversation with a couple of scouts and somebody uh, affiliated with the front office today and talking about kind of the long-term ramifications of COVID because it's hard to know when lifestyle is going to go back to quote-unquote normal, right? Sure. How How is the league business going to get back to exactly where it was before? Is this something we have to deal with next season and maybe beyond? as there's different variants of COVID that pop up. So the question really was, are we going to see roster formats like this, where there's so much fluidity, maybe another two-way contract or or a couple other situations where teams can have rights over certain guys in their G League? Are we going to see a a situation where similar to September call-ups in Major League Baseball, there are points in the season when the NBA actually looks at expanding their roster beyond 15 players like do you think that any of these are viable options or that there's going to be long-term changes to how the nba and its g league affiliates do business long term
1: i I do I, i think there's a couple things that factor in one is Everyone around the league on both sides, the, the league and team side and the player side feel extremely confident that there's going to be a lot of new TV money coming in. Cause the one thing that's still raking in big money is live sports, right? We It's just one of the few things uh, different networks are paying for. Cause they know there's still an audience for live sports um, versus, you know, a lot of these other things. I mean, if you're like me, especially at this time of year, I don't watch really any TV shows live. (laughs) Everything's on the DVR, you know? And I, uh, you know, sometimes friends will be like, hey, did you watch this? And I'm like, man, I'm, you know, seven episodes behind. I'll get to it, you know, when I have a break here. So uh, what I I think you are going to see is with the fact that, by by the time the new TV money rolls in, hopefully we'll be back to whatever new normal is and uh, post-pandemic and and things will be resettled as much as they, they are ever going to be. And I think what you're going to see is uh, two things that will go hand in hand, draft reform and G League reform. There's a big push that we will probably get rid of the one and done rule that that it'll be players will be allowed to come right out of high school again, um, whether that's direct to the NBA or a modified path. And what I mean by that is maybe it's if you're coming direct out of high school, there is something that says you have to spend X amount of time in the G League first, um, just kind of refining you. We're seeing that now. I mean, we're up to what I, I want to say we're probably around somewhere between eight and 10 total top prospects over two years have opted to play with G league ignite ignite. And that's, that's huge because that's getting those guys into a pro style environment. It, rather than sending them off to, to college, the NBA is getting their hands on them right away and getting them to start working. And in those teams that brought in former NBA players, like Amir Johnson is with the G league ignite. To work with those guys and, you know, uh, Amir Johnson spoke about it at one point and said, yeah, my whole goal is to beat on the big guys every day. For you know, two to four hours. I just beat on them and teach him this is what it's like. And and Amir Johnson, this deep into his career, is still better than ninety-nine percent of college big men, you know, and there's something to be said for that experience overplaying, you know, east-west directional state and winning by 50 points because you're physically overmatched against some you know six foot six inch center when you're a seven-footer. It's <clears throat> it's just one of those, you know, just kind of the way it goes. Yeah, so and- I think. Oh, go ahead. Sorry.
0: Keith, I I come at this from a a big draft perspective. So for me, thinking about how draft reform goes hand in hand with what goes on in the G League is really, really important because any prospect who's looking at where college basketball is or has trended over the last few years is looking for alternatives that are going to put them in a better position to make money and succeed once they get into the NBA. I think far too often we think about – the draft position in the first contract that guys sign, and not enough about are they in a position to put themselves in a great spot to sign a lucrative second contract because that's yep. where these guys make their money so exactly yeah, that and, that's and it, what this has to be about and yep. and if the G league is going to play a larger role in making that happen i think we're all for it but as you said the reform for one really can't happen without the other
1: correct and that, that's going to be the give and take right it's going to be Uh, the player side wants one thing the team side wants another another thing and it may be all right we're gonna add a round to the draft but that that round is for you know only high school players or only you know non-college players or something like that or players that are 19 and under or something like that with the idea of they have to go the nba would love to be able to say much like you know a big draw in minor league baseball is hey watch this you know hot prospect that someday will be in the, the major league team um you would they like to be able to progress the guys through. Hey, they're going to be in the G League, you know. And and let's use the Celtics as an example. They're going to be at this. You know, this kid we just drafted is going to be in Maine, you know. And you, you, we know for certain you can go watch him there and you know see him. And you're going to feel an attachment to him. And then that's your, that attachment goes there. A big part of it though is they got to get all 30 teams have to have a G League team first, and that's going to be a push. Right now, we're, we're almost there. We only get two. It's Portland and Phoenix now. Come on, Sarver. <laughs> that's it. that money server <laughs> had one and then sold it um and then it moved and then the nuggets picked up the uh the the the, re- the, the remaining uh, left behind team but so that'll be a thing right they, they'll they'll portland really is the one that they know they're gonna have, probably have to drag kicking and screaming because portland is all along has been like, we believe in our own development here and, and Neil O'Shea has gone now. So maybe that'll start to change. And they'll, you know, look at, look at our, right, we, we could have our own team, but get, get to 30 teams. Um, maybe there could be a point then where maybe the Ignite, has served its purpose and it moves on because now these kids are going to their individual teams but i do think that's going to happen i think you're going to see draft reform i think you're going to see g league reform i think you're going to see a a more true minor league system i don't know that it'll ever be like baseball you're not going to have multiple levels like that that's not probably going to be a thing and i know just also too i mean the rosters aren't that big um and then i think the other part of it is it's just going to be I don't know that it'll even be all the players on your G League roster belong to the NBA team in some form of rights. It'll probably maybe be three or four of the guys. But that's better than what it is today, where it's maybe two and then a guy who's been sent down on assignment or something like that.
0: And and how I would see this playing out is if there's a third round that's ever added or or different uh, you know additions onto the draft, to me, it would end up being. You draft them directly into your G League organization. You maintain their rights so that no other team can sign them. But if you bring them up to your NBA team, you have to clear another roster spot in order to make that happen and then their salary gets triggered to a different level. So yeah, absolutely. all of those concerns.
1: Yeah. yeah, and the league would like to not have these draft and stash overseas if they can avoid it, uh, just because, again, you'd rather have the guys there. And, and the biggest change we've seen with the G League beyond the expansion of it is teams putting their, their G League team very close to the NBA team. Boy, the vast majority of them now are within a drivable distance. Like uh, Boston to Maine, it's a couple hours. Uh, the Orlando Magic, where I live, their G League teams in Lakeland, and that's only about you know an hour or so down the road um, from them. And that actually really helped them uh, in this COVID situation because they were able to take four players right off the Lakeland Magic team and bring them right up on hardship deals. And that was quite frankly, kept them from having a game postponed. Now you could, you could go a different direction and say, maybe the game should have just been postponed, but that, that's a whole other conversation yeah. to, to have, but yeah, it, it is, Um, you know, it is, it, we're going to see a lot of this stuff continue to tweak and change and adjust. And, and it's going to be fun, fun to monitor, but I think that's going to be one of the major, major changes, if not this next CBA, cause it may be, it may be too quick for that. But I think the one after that, or there'll be a, let's table this and we'll come back to it. And that's the biggest thing that the two sides have done really well uh, over the last several years, even pre-pandemic and pre-bubble their working relationship has improved so much that they, they've gotten through a lot of things. And then they've even said, all right, let's put that aside and we'll come back to it. And then they've come back to it. And then just obviously they've really strengthened the relationship working together through the pandemic and the bubble season and all these things. Well, both sides are, are pretty much in lockstep on, all right, this is where we want to go. And then it's, they, I think both sides very much realize something that, that I learned a long time ago. A half a watermelon is better than a whole grape. And so let's let's just keep things moving because everything's pretty good right now.
0: Yeah. Yeah. No doubt about that. And and look, a lot of changes that could be coming down the turnpike, but more than anything, we need Phoenix and Portland, baby. Let those (laughs) affiliates spend that money, spend money to make money, as I always say. Uh, But you you mentioned the Orlando Magic. So time to move kind of into the current NBA product portion of this. And again, Keith, you know, I come at this podcast a little bit more from a draft perspective where a lot of my focus and attention goes. So the Orlando Magic, one of the younger teams in the NBA, starting on a rebuilding process, have some younger guys. And just as somebody who covers a team, watches a lot of their games and lives close by, where are you at with their young roster construction, or at the very least, what feedback can you give on some of their younger players and where the organization is at with them?
1: Yeah, I think as a kind of general overview, it's it's a little messy, but that's okay. They, they know where they're at uh, when they decided last year we're going to trade Nikola Vucevic, we're gonna trade Aaron Gordon, we're gonna trade Evan Fournier. Basically, somehow Terrence Ross was the only guy who was left behind. As I tweeted on trade deadline day, I tweeted out the Will Smith meme of him just looking at the empty uh, living room because that's really what it kind of felt like. But they said – all right, if we're doing this, let's do it. Let's really tear it all the way down. And, and they, they uh, Jeff Weltman and John Hammond got that approval from Alex Martins, the president of the team, as well as team ownership of, all right, we believe that this is the, the best way, let's do it. And I think their, what their approach was, let's just focus on asset collection first and then fit can be a focus later. And I think that's the right way to approach a rebuild. Right? Is Orlando's roster construction right now ideal? absolutely not they have a million guards they have uh, two bigs that overlap ideal positions and then they have well let's let's be positive and say uh, jonathan isaac makes it back so they have really kind of two forwards you feel pretty good about and one in tumokiki we'll see so you're you, you, and none of the guards are really true wings, they're all more kind of one-ish guys, I guess. I, I kind of 1.5s, uh in, in a sense. So it, it's it, it's not ideal, but they know it and they're just kind of taking the approach of hey, we're gonna sort through, it. we'll figure out who can play, and then we'll move move uh from a position of strength ideally later and uh do that as we, we worry about fit because I think they know. But who cares if you have a great fitting roster when you're going to win 20, 25 games at most, that doesn't matter. You know, it's all about, you know, where, where are we going with this? So I think I think their approach has been really solid. They've, they've still got some uh, I like to call them bonus draft picks, extra draft picks that they have coming uh, plus their own draft picks will probably be pretty, pretty good for a couple of years, but they're we're starting to see now that they're getting a little bit healthier now some things are going to have to sort out because it's just going to be really hard for Jamal Mosley to get all these guys minutes that you kind of need to see on the floor.
0: Yeah. And, and look, I, I think your, your commentary on their process is, is exactly how we align on this. You can't build a house until you know what your pillars are going to be. Right. Yeah. So there's, there's no point in going through and trying to put together this well, you know, blended roster if you don't know who the star players are going to be. And look, they drafted Jalen Suggs, a guy that I'm incredibly high on with the intention of him being one of those pillars. somewhat slow start. I don't think that necessarily takes away from his high ceiling and the, the faith that the organization has in him. You know, they have a lot of what I would call like BB plus players, guys that they've drafted or taken in this younger process who are without a doubt good enough to be part of a contending team. Someday down the line, I think Cole Anthony scores the ball really well. Franz Wagner is a fantastic kind of front court do it all connector piece. Mobamba has been a lot better this year as a shot blocker and, and somebody who can stay on the floor for longer stretches. Wendell Carter Jr. deserves to be in a rotation. Jonathan Isaac, as we talked about, is like a potential defensive player of the year candidate when he's at his very best. A lot of really good rotations pieces but I don't know if they have one go-to offensive hub yet. And I don't know if they necessarily have enough scoring with all of the combination of their pieces to be able to win themselves a playoff series down the line. So the fascinating part of this, as they are accumulating all of these assets, trying to prioritize how to give them minutes is, you know, who do you bail on first and when is the appropriate time to let somebody walk away to pull the plug or try to trade them for a future draft pick down the line that could mesh better with the core that develops.
1: Yeah, and that that's the the really hard part. For for them now is, I think their hope. Oh, right, I mean everybody's hope is, especially when you draft a guy in the top, let's say ten, that they're going to hit the ground and you're going to be like, holy crap, rookie of the year. This guy's awesome and right, right. Th- there's our franchise guy and he's going to be our you know great player to lead us forward. Uh, what's been kind of cool is I think we've gotten a lot of those guys in the last couple drafts, which is really great for the league as a whole. Uh, Orlando. Hasn't it's you know now i'm with you i'm very high on jalen sucks and and what's so unfortunate is he suffered this thumb injury right as he was really starting to figure stuff out it was starting to come for him it was uh The jump shot was starting to, he was starting to get to his spots on the floor more smoothly. He was starting to make plays for others a little bit more. Uh, His his defense had been pretty good. I think he was really starting to figure out, all right, this is how I can play with my hands. These are the spots where I can get away with that. These are spots where I can't. Uh, A lot less having to think all the time and just letting his natural athleticism uh, shine through. So that, that part, you know, really unfortunate. Now on the plus side is because you're not necessarily forcing him to do as much. Franz Wagner has been able to really shine. Um, I think he can do more with the ball in his hands than a lot of people thought he could, uh, both as a scorer. Um, He's a very smart player. I think he makes um, the right read most of the times. he gets a little time. There's still sometimes when uh, his physical limitations show up as far as he's not the quickest guy off the bounce right now, but I think he'll start to figure that out. We've seen a million guys who aren't the fastest guy uh, with the ball in their hands become you know, really good scorers and figure that out because they learn how to play lane, angles and leverage and all those things. Okay. So I th- think that's been good. Um, You mentioned Cole Anthony. I I just give me Cole Anthony's any day because i think when you have guys that are that competitive that just want it you're going to be okay it's gonna work out all right um he can really do some stuff i I think uh we saw it here in orlando when when after the trade deadline when everybody else turned them off and stopped watching (laughs) we saw cole anthony really play well um, in that uh, late in that season, he was really starting to, to really show you're like, Hey, you can put the ball in this kid's hands and, and he, he can, he can run your offense. He can score. Uh, he's not afraid in the clutch. He, he wants the ball. He's going to take the shots. Now the question comes in. So, all right. So you got Suggs and Anthony, that sounds pretty good, but then you also have Markel Fultz and you have um, RJ Hampton. What happens because Fultz is signed for a couple more years you gotta play him because you gotta see now. Fultz, I think, will be okay with Anthony because Anthony or Suggs because he's got enough size. Um, yeah, he he's been actually, bit. yeah, yeah, exactly. He's actually been a pretty good defender uh, most of his career. He's, he's, uh, you know, from what we've seen of him uh, recently, he he looks uh, like he's not. I don't want to say big in a bad way, but like just bigger, mm-hmm. um, bigger and stronger, which would make sense at this point. It's been been a while, I think, since he's been able to kind of focus on really getting his body right um in addition to you know everything else he's gone through so i think there's we're seeing some of that now the guy who gets squeezed is RJ hampton because what is he he's not really big enough to play play the three um that's been pretty messy defensively when they've tried to go to that The, 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 the problem is none of these guys is a six foot five or six foot six guard they're all like Top out at like six four, uh, and none of them are like a super long six four where it's like, all right, he's six four, but he can play small forward and we'll be fine. That that becomes a challenge. So just a just a crowded group, but I think the way the Magic are also looking at it is. So one of them's kind of always been out so far. So we'll just kind of let it sort through. Uh, I do think uh, they'd like to move Gary Harris if they could by the trade deadline. You know, he's starting to play a little bit better, but it's just kind of a big number to move and expect to get much back. But that might be one where it's, Hey, you get him. He can be a viable rotation guy for you. We'll take a bad contract as long as you give us a draft pick too. And that might be the way that goes. And that could be, you know, as they try to achieve some balance, or that could be one where I've I've, uh, very regularly said we could see a buyout uh, there, uh, you know, after the deadline, but yeah, that's, it's that backcourt part that they've got to sort through because the forward group, it's going to be Isaac, Wagner inokiki yeah. yeah those three guys will get the the vast majority of the minutes at the um the, the three and the four and then we'll see up front between carter and bomba you know those two will continue to kind of wage their you know season-long battle and i don't think we'll see as much of the two of them together uh that's been more a necessity thing but it's actually kind of worked okay it hasn't been you know absolutely horrible so yeah. so we'll, we'll see where that goes yeah
0: we'll, we'll hit on the two bigs in a second now we just sure. actually earlier today we published an article on rj hampton kind of being the third wheel on the orlando magic and you know, he's not even 21 years old yet, yep. and it seems that every stop that he's been at, he's been jettisoned into more of an off-ball role because he's kind of the tallest of the guys that they have that are multiple <laughs> yeah. guards. He's, you know, one of them that can play off-ball and knock down shots to a certain degree. He's over 40 percent for the year right now. He's mm-hmm. making tremendous strides with his jump shot. But with the New Zealand Breakers, he went there with the intention of being kind of a point guard, a bigger point guard. But that's what he was in high school in the AAU circuit, a prolific scorer with the ball in his hands and had a fantastic debut game for the Breakers at 18 years old when he should have been a senior in high school playing against Chris Paul in the Oklahoma City Thunder in a preseason game. And then all of a sudden the Breakers said, now we have two 30-year-old veterans. We're going to put the ball in their hands. We're going to move Hampton off ball because that's how we think we can win games this year. So Hampton's stock declines. He doesn't get reps that he needs goes to Denver, doesn't play on a playoff team, quickly traded to Orlando, where he's in the depth chart behind Markel Fultz. He's behind Cole Anthony, who was selected, I think, a nine or 11 spots ahead of him in the mm-hmm. 2020 draft. So clearly Orlando favors Anthony over Hampton. Otherwise, they would have taken RJ. And then they draft Jalen Suggs just a few months later. And it leads me to believe that this is going to be perhaps – one of those guys who's a casualty of a rebuild situation, somebody whose development is not prioritized in comparison to others. And as a result, we never get to see exactly what he can be at his best. Now, Hampton has been, Pretty poor as a finisher at the basket this year. There's oh, there's no two ways. Yeah, no you're being kind. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, there's there's no two ways around that. Yeah. But, but you also have to believe that somebody who can play with the ball in their hands a little bit more is going to have the confidence and a longer leash to play through some of those mistakes, is sure. really what rebuilds like this are about. And it's it's tough for me to sit by and watch Hampton be that one guy who's squeezed from it. Cause I mean, really, there's no way around it. Anthony's been good and Suggs is kind of the future pillar. That's why you brought him in but it's just, it's so hard for me to see 20 year olds who fall victim to circumstance in this regard.
1: Yeah. And that's the, 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 the tricky part, because as we just said, those four guys, I'm taking Gary Harris out of the mix, but those four guys, Anthony Suggs, Fultz, and Hampton all need to play. They're all similarly sized. Anthony's the smallest of the group, but the other three are roughly the same size. But again, none are really big enough to to move up to the the four. Now, yeah, or move up, not the four, the three. <laughs> they're definitely not big enough for the four. No. Um, but they're not even really big enough for the three. Now, maybe you get away with that if you're playing bomba and isaac out there or carter and isaac because those two will cover up for a lot of you know stuff that happens and you could maybe get a little funky with the we'll, we'll we'll you know play some really you know uh, heavy ball pressure defense maybe even do some uh a uh, little bit of pressing and trapping and those kind of things because you look, can look get at the there. But... model
0: right yeah with, exactly with Just opposite. Mobley. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah <laughs> Yeah, you just go kind of opposite, right? Of, you know, well, we're going we're going to go small versus the three Giants uh, together. But yes, absolutely. So maybe that's where you go with that. But I will say with those four guys, you're spot on with RJ Hampton because he's the lowest in the pecking order for development for, for the Magic for as long as they have all four of those guys available to play. He's getting his time now because Suggs is hurt and Fultz is out. But presumably they'll both, Fultz probably going to get back here sooner rather than later. It sounds like, and then Suggs will be back at some point. Uh, we got our kind of first pseudo update just tonight in there before their game, and it was just it's coming along slowly for him. Now it, that's probably somewhat team driven because I don't yeah. think they're exactly pushing it too hard. But well, we'll see you know where that goes. But yeah, I, my my thing is I would like to see them kind of at post trade deadline because by then I assume Harris will either not be on the team or not part of the mix or whatever. And same with Terrence Ross as well, because it'll probably either be be gone or you're just, you know, moving on. You've still got 96 backcourt minutes. So get all four of those guys in there, probably not 24 minutes each, but there's enough time for them all to play at least 20 minutes a game. And then just, just, just go and run. And if, you know, if you want to get them up closer to 25, maybe in the, closer to the 30 range just play three of them together because who what are you going to do lose oh well yeah. right that's who cares that doesn't matter but you also don't want to eat away from Wagner's on ball time because I think right. they've really liked seeing what they see there they still want to see what you can get more out of Chumokiki, Kiki you know and kind of kind of see is there there's something more there for for him and then you know when Isaac gets back you do you got to get him touches because you're trying to really develop he's the maybe the the closest thing right now on the roster that you feel like maybe could be an all-star here, you know, sooner rather than later. Uh, But yeah, they just, you just got to keep working. I mean, I guess that's the the main way to put it is is go, but you have to, you can't just let them fall completely by the wayside because there's, there's still too much value there to just kind of say, see you later.
0: Yep. No doubt. No doubt. And, And look, I, again, going back to the draft perspective here, the other piece of this puzzle is the front court with Bamba and Carter who are, you know, due paydays coming soon and trying to figure out what to do with them on this roster. Uh, The magic are planning on having another high caliber pick in this year's draft. And as we talked about, they need a guy, an offensive focal point. There really isn't one on the wing. There's not going to be that one guy in this draft class that can come in and play the three or, or, you know, be a smaller perimeter bound four and do exactly what they need. The only possibility of that might be Jabari Smith out of Auburn. And he's getting talked about right now as potentially the top overall pick. So if you don't end up at one, what do you end up doing? And, and one of the, the names that comes up is a guy, maybe like Chet Holmgren or Paolo Banquero out of Duke. The three of them, Smith Holmgren and bancaro are being talked about as that clear top three. And if Orlando mm-hmm. lands in there, they're adding another bigger body to the mix and I'm really curious to see how that potentially is going to really impact negotiations or decisions that they make with Bamba and Carter. Because from a talent perspective, you have to value the younger guy, especially with where they're at in their franchise building stage. But what do you end up doing with either of those two guys?
1: Yeah, so here's your, your thing that I think you, you hope and pray that, that you can get Smith. Um, and then if you got to take one of the two centers, you you do it, and just you know you you kind of say, all right, that's where we're going. Wendell Carter, they signed, they they signed him to a contract extension. So that's and it's a good one. It's pretty team friendly. It starts a little high, but then it, it declines each year. By the time it's it's done, he he will be making. Let me just double check to make sure I'm going to say this correctly. Yeah, we are making ten point nine million, and it's in the fourth and final year, and that's going to be less than the. Yeah, it'll be less than the mid-level exception right. at that point. He should be well worth that, if nothing else, is a high-end backup big man. Uh, by that point, um, if you're if you're in a position where you have to draft one of the two centers, you're probably gonna see what's out there from Obama and a sign and trade. You know, do you move on from him? Well, what does it look like? His tenure here in Orlando has been pretty messy. He the 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 hope very much was that him and Nikola Vucevic would be ships passing in the night. As Vuce aged out, Bamba would be ready to step up and then they would go and then Vuce got better and started playing at an all-star level and Bamba got buried and Bamba did not play well and did not look very good. Uh, There was a point when the team was making the playoffs, those couple of years where it was very clear. Ken Birch was a far better option trying to win games than Mo Bamba was. Um, this year he kind of came in with a little bit of a renewed focus. I, I he's not saying it, the, the team's not saying it, but I very much believe that had Carter not gotten the contract extension, I don't know where Bomba would have been. And I think it's been a little bit more of Carter got paid. I'm gonna show you that I should have got paid too. Like I should be, be on that list. Yeah, that's fine, right? That that's what I want. I want my guys to be, you know, I want them out there battling, you know, and, and doing that stuff. And I think. The hope is when Jonathan Isaac gets back, and they're not going to push Isaac. I'd be surprised if he plays back-to-backs all year long. Uh, whenever he does return, he'll probably you know, be out there about every other game or so. It'll just be one of the two of them will come off the, the bench eventually and probably be Bamba because Carter's been healthier and more available. Uh, he's also just got a little bit more well-rounded of a skill set. And then we'll see. Um, Mo's a tough one because in a lot of ways – you can convince me that he's the ideal modern center because he blocks shots and can shoot with range. Uh, His hands are still a mess though. He can't finish a pick and roll for the life of him. Uh, Passing is just an absolute disaster. Doesn't you know he's got to get a got to go up with a shot or immediately move move the ball um into a set read if you take him out of that it's just going to be it's going to be bad i can't do anything as far as even putting the ball on the floor for a dribble uh in his post game which I, i realize i'm a dinosaur here right but it's uh it's it's Pretty non-existent. He doesn't have anything he can't. He he's not going to drop a shoulder power through a guy and get a layup, which Carter goes to quite regularly, uh, nor is he going to drop in there with like any kind of jump hook or anything like that, which is what Robin Lopez uh lives off of now. Um Lopez more now trending towards the more old school sweeping hook, uh more regularly. But it's yeah, it's just his it's basically he's gonna shoot jump shots. And at some point you look at that and say, Okay, cool. So you're Dwayne Deadman? like what like well you know well what's the value of that are you you know a worse miles turner like uh, you know far worse miles turner okay i mean that still has value but that's a you know five million dollar a year backup big man. like and that's you know where, where we can go so he's he's just he's got a lot more to show for me so i would not let his presence by Any means dissuade me if one of those, those uh, uh, Brincaro or uh, Holmgren is out there, go get them because those guys are awesome. Uh, and it looks like they're gonna be really, really good pros. Go get them and see you later, Mo Bamba. You know, good, good luck wherever you go next because it's yeah. you know, that's harsh, but we we both know that's just how it works.
0: The business, man, that's yep. that's really how it is. And speaking of business, I think we gotta move on to the team that you and I both <laughs> cover for business, which is the Boston oh, Celtics. The uh, do we have to? I think there's there's an I old I think I'd rather talk opera. Orlando for like another two hours. <laughs> there was a soap opera I remember growing up as the world turns. And right now, as the world turns with the Boston Celtics, every single day is a different drama, whether it's trade rumors and unhappy fan bases to games that they should be winning that they're not to playing incredibly well against some of the NBA's most high caliber teams. There's really no way to make sense of this team. And I don't think that that's an Ime Udoka issue because it's something that we saw last year. It's probably something we've seen dating back a couple of years at this point, but Keith, no one covers the Celtics closer than you do right now. What the hell do we make of this season so far and where this team is at?
1: And if, if I, if I knew that spins, I'd probably <laughs> be making millions of dollars and I'd be, I'd be fixing it and cleaning it up and getting them moving on towards banner 18. There are, there are times, like you said, when this team, they just all kind of clicks and you're like, there it is. Now. Yes. Everybody has those games. Right. I mean, the, the, the magic went in and beat the nets, you know, in Brooklyn, you know, just to go, go back to there. I mean, Oklahoma city has been, well, I guess beating the Lakers twice, isn't it? You know, massive accomplishment because they're not playing great. But you know where I'm going, but the Celtics look apart. Sometimes they for about 45 minutes in Milwaukee on Christmas, they was like, here it is. Where this is it. This shorthanded group is is taking it to the box, and and they're 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 going to get this win that nobody expected, and then they you know lost that one, and that one was kind of like, well, all right, let's not freak out. They're missing a whole bunch of guys, and it's the defending champs at home on Christmas, but then they go out and absolutely fall apart late and lose to the the, the Minnesota Wolves. And I'm doing that in quotations because it was not the Timberwolves roster. That Timberwolves team played two rotation players, Jalen McDaniel or Jaden McDaniels and um, uh, Michael Beasley. That was it. None of their other guys are regular rotation guys. Josh Koji doesn't play every night anymore. Jordan McLaughlin doesn't play every night. Jake Lehman doesn't play every night. Greg Monroe, we already mentioned, was only joined the team a couple hours before the tip. It, It was just a mess. So... When I look at it, I, there's no easy thing to point to for what's wrong because sometimes it's effort. That really hasn't been a thing for, I would say, the better part of the last two, three weeks. A little bit at the end of that West Coast road trip, but no team goes on a long road trip and brings supreme
0: effort all the way to the end of it. it just And, and, they, and they didn't there. have Jalen Brown. And, and yeah, there's exactly. all these different circumstances. And with that it.
1: Minnesota game was not effort. They played hard. They just played poorly they just didn't play well um but sometimes that pops up uh tatum has not shot it well he's not been the guy we've come to expect uh brown has been at times extremely inefficient um he's had this maddening habit he didn't do it against the wolves but in the other games uh where he's great in the first quarter and then kind of fizzles out some of that is the offense but some of that is is him in that bucks game he still got 11 shots after the first quarter but he made two of them that's not you know and it's it's not cuz he was you know posted in the corner for you know 20 minutes out of whack and then they said here take a bunch of shots late uh the defense comes and goes i you know that one i'm a little less upset about just cuz the i think the way they want to play you need consistency of players available uh there was a lot of communication breakdowns in the wolves game even in the bucks game and that just is I mean, Jabari Parker and Macho Hernan Gomez are playing big minutes. Like that's just, you know, one, they're not good defenders and two, they don't play. So, you know, executing that switch everything scheme where you're, uh, you know, people focus so much on the switch on the ball. They do a lot of um, jump switches and, um, you know, switchbacks um, away from the ball that, that I think get missed um, where they try to scramble guys out of bad, bad matchups on the back end and those kind of things. And that that's that's hard to pull off when you're playing a bunch of guys who don't play, but. Um, Late game offense is a mess. I don't know how you fix that. I don't I don't have an easy answer to it. I know everybody says they play too much isolation ball. Everybody plays isolation ball at the end of close games. It's just the way the league kind of works. It's either ISO or it's straight pick and roll. It's just the other way it works. Now, I, I do think they could play quicker. I think they, they play too slow. I think they go into this extreme slowdown after about the six minute timeout in the fourth quarter. They they really just start walking it up and that's causing them some trouble. But I I mean I just think we're now in another year. We after all of last year, things just didn't. Clicked and not look good um there were big parts of the bubble year where things looked kind of messy and then they hit the bubble and played really well and uh got to these finals and there was thought if, if they had had hayward they might have made the made the nba finals and maybe that's all true but the reality is they didn't and then last year was rough and this year's been rough i think we have enough of a sample size now that we kind of have some sense of some of some of this core group maybe it just doesn't work and 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 I'm not the trade Tatum and Brown guy because I don't think that's necessarily the right answer. I don't even know that the right answer is you've got to trade Marcus Smart. I, I really don't know. I, I, my big thing that I've come to over the last, it, it's really been throughout the duration of this season, but, but started for me last year before he got hurt was, I think Jalen Brown is going to be an absolutely dominant number three on a great team. I think Jason Tatum can be a number one on a great team. And I think for the Celtics, now they're missing the number two. And I used to believe Tatum was the one and Brown was the one. A, And now I'm I'm more convinced than I ever was that Brown is maybe a three. And and you need someone in between the two of them who's just kind of an organizer who's really going to get them somewhere where they need to be. The problem is those players are extremely rare and hard to get. And when you do get them, you have to have a way to get them. And that means you're probably going to have to give up really good stuff to go get that player. And that's that that's where, you know, for me, it really starts to become kind of hard of where where do you go from
0: here? And, and I think that, you know, you and I are, are, have both stayed connected enough around the team and, and with what's going on in the league to kind of see and understand that. Right now, there's a little bit of a pause or uncertainty on what movement is going to take place. ahead. Oh, big time. Because no one knows what to make of their own rosters, let alone how COVID protocols this or that's going to really play out. So because everyone else around the league is dragging their feet, the Celtics, who are flirting with 500 every chance that they get, one game up, one game down, whatever (laughs) it ends up being, it's hard to know whether you need to be buyers or sellers. And at the very least, you can you know, when you have your own draft picks, when you have some movable salary and money with some guys like maybe Hernan Gomez or, you know, Dennis Schroeder on an expiring this year, you have a traded player exception, Josh Richardson's extension from last year. Like there are some pieces that they can move around to be aggressive where they can keep Tatum and Brown. But if the rest of the league is not really sure who's ready to sell, what type of players are going to be available, this could be one of those circumstances where another trade deadline passes where we have to go in the summer and play the asset management game of here's our traded player, you know, TPE that's going to expire. How do we maximize it to roll it over into another year? What do we end up doing to try to add around the fringes with the mid-level exception? And is that enough to get us over the hump and bank on continued Mm -hmm. development from Tatum, from Brown, and then one of the younger players stepping into a larger role. And frankly, that last part is where I'm kind of short right now. I don't see Nismith or Pritchard or Romeo Langford really topping out at more than they kind of are right now. Maybe consistency wise, they do more to you know keep their spot in the rotation for what it is when they're at their best, but taking a step into the starting rotation regularly is not necessarily something we see. So yeah. changes are going to have to come. If this team's going to reach that elite, elite level. And I know I took a lot of, uh, a lot of flack in the Celtics blog slack room for picking them 43 and 39 before coming into the season. A lot of people thought that was kind of low. I just, I, I don't trust a lot of the depth around the top stars. And you said at the very beginning of where the issues are, this is a jump shooting team. There are not really enough guys that credibly put pressure on the rim because Tatum wants to take step backs and Brown is maybe the only guy that does it, but he doesn't do it consistently. You know where are you going to get an easy bucket when you need it? And if the answer is a Tatum step back, I don't think that's enough. So whether it's an organizer at the spot that you would say is kind of the second option, whether it's just somebody who can put their head down and get to the basket and overpower people while being able to fit in the switch all defensive scheme, that's, that's not easy to, to find. So I think that's kind of where the trouble comes in right now. You had a guy like Gordon Hayward or a, just a supreme talent like Kyrie Irving, And those guys start to trickle into multiple role players. And now we see where the lack of offensive firepower beyond the top two comes from.
1: Yeah, I I go back to that 2018 Eastern Conference Finals when Tatum was a rookie. And, you know, he, you know, that that play where he drove and dunked on LeBron that I pray that doesn't become his signature play (laughs) for his career, because if it does, then this was a failure. Like it was a failure on the part of everybody Tatum included. Like you just, your signature play should not be as a rookie. Right. But it still is. I mean, yeah, the signature play you think of with Jason Tatum is, is the gorgeous step back that he, you know, just, you know, it's just perfect form jump shot and it goes in. But when you think of impact plays, it's that play. And, and I look at it and I remember when they lost that game, I remember people were like, Oh man, you must be pretty upset. And I was like, really not because they never should have been there. They have Kyrie. They didn't have Gordon. Hayward. you know, Gordon Hayward's leg was pointed the wrong direction. You know, five minutes into the season, Kyrie Irving, you know, went out with a knee injury. They played a game where Al Horford legit played point guard because it didn't have any point guards available. And that team was so fun because they were just, they got after it. They played hard every single night. They really defended Tatum was better than I think anybody ever could have envisioned, you know, right off the jump, especially as just a shooter uh, alongside Kyrie. I mean, he this that first year. I mean, he felt like he was never going to miss. Then I remember I was one of those people going into that next season where I was like, Holy crap, this team is loaded. They're getting Kyrie back. They're getting Gordon Hayward back. They still have everybody else. They have every single other guy. How are they going to, you know, my biggest thing was like, how are they going to find minutes for like Terry Rogier? Like he might right. not ever play. And that was the, probably the most recent of a lesson that I have, unfortunately, sad to admit, had to learn several times. Is Sometimes less is more. Sometimes when you have 10, 11, 12 guys, it's just too many. Yeah. They, they can't all play. Someone's going to be unhappy. We all know how that went. And then, you know, it was like, all right. Well then, you know, that season petered out and fell apart and they, you know, even then we still, I think all kind of believe, I mean, they won that first game against the box in the second round. I was like, yep, they're, they're going to do it. It's all coming together. And then it just didn't happen. And then, you know, yeah, you're right. And then from there, it's just been. I right, lose a star, turn it into something else. And then that turns into you know, a role player and that turns into this and that turns into this and that turns into this. And then all of a sudden it's, you know, all right, here, here we are with these two young guys who love them both. And I think they're both super duper talented, but are they ready to be the guys? And I get it. It's, it's not fair to put on two guys who are in their, you know, early twenties to say, be the man, lead the team,
0: dominate. You know, every every night. Well, Tatum Tatum is still nineteen, right? Yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah. Some would have you believe, right? Yeah. Um, but I also look at it and say these two guys have more high level playoff experience than guys who've been in the league ten and twelve
0: years. Yes. They're not young yes. anymore.
1: Yeah, they yeah. they they are young in age. They are not inexperienced. Okay. That that's that's what I keep saying. That they they have the experience now. They know what it takes to win playoff games. But it's just. I, yeah, I, I don't know, you know where you go. My fear is you're going to have to move Jalen Brown to make any kind of move that makes a big enough difference to to change things enough because otherwise it's just more of the same. You're just changing the pieces, you know, kind of around. Um, I, I am very much, uh, you, you know, on the Celtics blog Slack, I have said, Nothing should be off the table. They should be open to talking about anything—trade deadline, off season, whatever it is. Now, I will say, as our uh, our you know, editor extraordinaire Bill Sy over at Celtics Blog right up, uh, reminds us all the time, is we all thought this would probably be about 500 at the end of the month of December. And guess what? They're probably going to be about 500 because nothing would surprise me more if they come out and destroy the Clippers on uh, on Wednesday night and then beat the Suns on new year's Eve, nothing would shock me more. And we're sitting here at 500 and like, well, we're all right where we kind of expected to be. It just, the destination was the same, but it's like, hey, it'd be like me, lo- me and you loading up the car and driving to California. Yeah. We ultimately got there, but it took us three months and four flat tires and the car breaking down seven times. Like, you know, hey, it was not an enjoyable trip to get there. Maybe we learned a few things. Maybe you and I shouldn't take a cross country road trip together. Right. I, I'm sure we should, we, we should, and we, we would have
0: flight. a great time. I don't know if we talked yeah. about anything other than the office and the yeah, NBA, but, yeah, it's a,
1: yeah. Yeah, yeah I, I don't know if you're a Marvel guy I might have to get you in on Marvel a little bit yeah, Now real. we know what we do when we post up for the night You watch the Marvel <laughs> movies and I turn you <laughs> into a fan But uh, but yeah man it's I just We're getting to where we thought we would be It just is It's just been very messy getting there And I think, think my biggest takeaway is Be open to, to change Probably more so with change We didn't expect to be open to uh, When the season started
0: all right, then. Interesting, interesting final words there from from Keith Smith. And, and again, before we get you out here, some quick Q&A's that we perfect from some okay. of our uh, our listeners here. As long as they're not Celtics related. They We have one that's <laughs> that's fine. Related, I'm only. Yeah, we, uh, we did kind of kind of mention it here. It's from Austin Hill. Uh, he wants to know, why can't the Celtics find ways to close out games? Is there a common trend that you notice here? Like for me, you said ISO ball. I think more than anything, a common misconception is that the Celtics are the only team that does that. Yeah. It's isolation or pick and roll to get to an isolation. But again, for me, it's the lack of pressure on the rim that their ISOs really result in jump shots and tough, contested jump shots as opposed to an ability to bully your man in the rim.
1: Yeah. I'm going to agree with you. And I'm going to add, I think they play too slow. I think they walk the ball up the court. By the time they're getting into actions, there's about 18 seconds left on the shot clock at best by the time you're really getting into something, then there's about 10 seconds left and they're quite consistently forced into a late, um, late, late clock shots. And I just, yeah, that's, it just makes it so hard to, to yeah. get anything. You just don't get anything easy.
0: Yeah. Well, Lazarus Jackson on Twitter. Great guy out there wants to know. Yeah, Pistons question. guy, right? Yeah. Oh yeah. Pistons guy. Yeah. And what do you think his question is going to be about here? Yeah. Uh, He asked, what do the Pistons need more of long-term next to Cade Cunningham and in their core shooting or athleticism?
1: Hmm. That's a good question. I'm going to say shooting. I I think they've got enough athleticism. Uh, I I think they have, um, I, I think. Isaiah Stewart is, is super athletic. I think Sadiq Bay is, is athletic enough. I think uh, some of the guys off the bench, like like a guy like kamadou Diallo, that's you know, really what he brings. Um, I just – I tend to believe you can never have enough shooting. Um, and if you're going to have a guy like Cade Cunningham who ideally his – you know, game is going to involve breaking down defenses, getting to his spots on the floor and finding shooters. Um, somebody needs to do uh, more than shooters. You need makers. Um, and then I think that's uh, for, for me, I'll go with that.
0: Yeah. It's funny. I tend to lean more athleticism, but in, at least looking in this draft class, I don't know if I see a great athlete to pair with Cade Cunningham. So it, it makes me kind of give a cop-out answer of ideally athleticism, but this year probably more shooting, uh, SMB 500 asks can the Philadelphia 76ers be a championship threat this season even if they're unable to find a trade for Ben Simmons my quick answer no Keith at. yeah
1: no they, they just don't have enough it's we've seen it now for half a season they just don't have enough to, to, to get there they they're not a special defensive team anymore like they were with Simmons and they' don't have a they, they haven't added enough offense. They can be good. I think they can win a playoff series, maybe even two uh, if everything breaks right. But I can't see him getting to the finals.
0: Interesting. And last question from Adam from the block. And I swear that that's not me. Uh, (laughs) He wants to know which long term core do you like the best? Houston's Oklahoma City's or Orlando? Keith, I'll let you go first.
1: Oklahoma City. Um, they, they're starting with the best player with uh Gilgis Alexander. I uh, really like Josh Giddy, I think he's really fun. And then I think they've hit on a couple guys who will be at the very least good role players like Jeremiah Robinson Earl. Um, I still very believe in uh Teo Maladon, I think he can be a high level backup uh point guard. I, I think Trey Mann's an interesting player, so yeah. And I mean, and then they've still got a billion draft picks, so I just, you know, I know that's not part of their core right now. Um, but yeah, I just, I, I got to lean with them. Just it's, it's mostly SGA for me that pushes that way over the top, but I really like Josh Giddey a lot too.
0: Uh, it's, it's funny. I, I tend to lean one of Houston or OKC. I think with, obviously, as you said, the Thunder have the best player. I really, really like the pairings of Shen Goon, Usman Garuba, and, and Jalen Green. I just, that class that they put together this year really stands out to me, but I think that they were behind where Oklahoma City was just by the fact that the Thunder had Shea others Alexander from a couple of years ago.
1: Yeah, so. I worry Garuba is never going to be able to play. I don't think he's going to put it together offensively enough to play. Yeah. We'll, I, we'll see. Yeah, I doubt. Yeah, but man, Alpern Hey, Now, if you put him on OKC like he probably should have been, that would be a vault them. You know, a, you know, way ahead of these other two teams. That that was the goofiest trade that I still don't. Understand because the two picks they got are probably never going to be really good picks so i don't i they 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 didn't need two more picks so i just but that's i I could go on a full rant for that for the next hour because i just don't i didn't like that decision
0: let's save that one for the next podcast (laughs) always a pleasure chatting with you but thank you so much for coming on let the people know what do you have coming out soon where can people find you and follow you just plug your own stuff before we get you out of here
1: yeah, if, if you're interested in Celtics coverage after every single game, I have. Uh, uh, it's generally ten takeaways. Uh, this time around, it was it was one takeaway because <laughs> um, I was just I went on a little bit of a rant of this is just it's decision time or at least start thinking about it. Uh, but ten takeaways from the game, I pull clips. I start to I find themes from the game that I like to, to hit on. I try to hit. The, I will yeah I will put the super duper awesome highlights out there but i try to pick up stuff that, that you're probably not going to see anywhere else that you know maybe especially if it's something different from a player like like aaron neesmith a couple of games ago uh pulled an off the dribble jumper behind a pick and roll it's not something he's done a lot of so i made sure to get that in there um with that, and then uh, over at Spot Track, we're gonna have a lot of stuff coming trade deadline stuff coming out. Uh, really, over the next month, we'll start hitting that very heavily. Uh, and then, then uh, it, it within the, probably before that, and then after that, we'll be doing a projected cap space because the summer of 2022 is just right around the corner. We're gonna be there before we know it. So we'll be be doing a lot of looking forward stuff over there. And then, then of course, some review stuff on the hills of the trade deadline. And then Celtics, we'll do some trade deadline stuff and you know that too over at Celtics blog but yeah that's where you can find the prim- primary stuff for me and then on twitter at keith smith and be forewarned, i tweet a lot
0: if you're not following keith on twitter already you're wrong so make sure you go <laughs> over and you do that um, again keith thank you so much for joining us just a reminder to you and everybody else out there hashtag ban the take foul we'll see you next week and thank you all for joining us